Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're going to try to finish off with David today, and then I think we will be off. I think with, again, there's only one option, which is Tuesday, October 4th. I think we'll take that off. So we'll be off for the next four weeks and resume October 25th after Sukkot. That is my plan. So we're going to try to finish Le David today. I'm in page 92 in the slim, page 40 in the sim. Okay, usually usually Michael has some people to keep him company in the conference room. I see today, no one, all alone. Okay, so we said that there's part 1A and 1B, and then we were just starting part 2. So to review 1A and 1B, part 1A is I am totally secure. Right, God protects me, so, um, uh, you know, nothing can touch me, all my enemies, ha, 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 I laugh at them. Okay, it doesn't say laugh, I'm, I'm just really paraphrasing <laughs> very loosely. That's 1A, sense of, secu- with a, the tone, as we'll say, a sense of security and assurance. 1B, the transition is, uh, this is the thing that I trust in, which we said could either, could be a hinge, which, e- which swings both ways. It could either apply to what I just said. I feel so secure because God protects me. So I'm not afraid of any of these enemies or battles. And that's the one thing I trust in, bizot. Or it could apply to what follows, right? So then it works. Um, I feel totally secure. God protects me. I'm not afraid of any of these enemies because this is the one thing I trust in, colon, that I only ask one thing, which is to live in God's house. And we said that that works three ways, metaphorically, godly life, go visit the temple, uh, God's protective place. Um, and I think it means all of those and the... um I think the psalmist intentionally wants it to be, uh, to mean all of those. Okay. So we're still in a sense of security. Part 1A, I'm secure because none of those battles can touch me. Part B, all I want to do is be connected to God in God's shelter at the temple, offering, um, sacrifices of triumph. Zivchei truah. And then I'm going to praise God. Okay. Okay. Then we have the transition to part two. You may say I'm splitting here. So it's not one A, one B and two, but it's sections one, two and three. Either way. So now the transition. We did a little bit of this last week. Okay. Hashem, hear my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Now I ask you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, what is the emotional tone of that sentence? So it could be a continuation of the above. It could actually be a very nice way to close section 1B. I only ask one thing of God, and that is to be in your presence, to be in your temple. I'm going to imply, uh, and I'm going to sing your praises. I'm going to insert one word. Therefore, Hashem, in order to pull this off, 
hear my voice, my prayer, and answer me. So if we look at it that way as closing section 1B, it has that sense of, uh, even though I'm saying, God, please listen to me, hear me, and answer my prayer, I think it has that sense of certainty and security to it. Or we can read it as the opening to a new section, because we'll see emotionally and psychologically now, the tone really, really changes in a very obvious way. L'cha Marley B, again, I'm reviewing a couple of lines that we did last week. Of you, my mind says, my inner thought, my inner voice says, Bakshu Fanai, seek my face. So inside, I hear a voice, which I guess is the voice of God, saying, seek my face. At Panecha Hashem Avakesh, indeed, God, I do seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn me aside in your anger, because you've always been my helper. Do not abandon me and do not leave me. Um, God who helps me. So now we have a tone of supplication, you know, and maybe I am going to, maybe you'll think I'm going too far in what I'm about to say. Supplication verging on, uh, desperation. Okay. Don't turn away from me. Presumably one doesn't say don't turn away from me when someone is facing you full on and giving you their full attention. You probably wouldn't be likely to say don't turn away from me. You would probably say don't turn away from me if you feel that someone is about to or has in fact turned away from you. That's the moment where we say, no, 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 don't turn away from me. Okay. So here the psalmist, we have a hint that the psalmist feels God is not necessarily fully responding or God is on the verge of not responding. So there is a note of at the very least, at the very least need and lack in here. I actually think it's a note of desperation. Michael, I'll yeah. allow you to interrupt me. Go ahead. This is why I think it fits so perfectly with the high holidays. Okay, hold on to that. Hold on. I'll, well, I'll, I'll ask you that in a couple of minutes. Okay. The desperation deepens. Again, is it certainty or is it desperation? You know, what do we call that? Whistling in the dark, right? Mm-hmm. That's the phrase in English, which means I'm, I'm behaving with certainty, but there's really desperation underneath it. Ki aviv imi azavuni baronai asfeni. The key, what does the key mean? It can mean, even though my parents leave me, for all of us, hopefully, I hate to put it that way, the way of the world is our parents leave us, right? It's bad if it's the other way around, if we leave our parents. That's a lot worse, okay? Nonetheless, even though it's the way of the world, um, I, I certainly remember when my second parent died, th- those who have lost both parents, I, I would... I'm guessing you all had this thought at some point. When my second parent died, I did think, well, now I'm an orphan for real, right? You know, and even though I was, I was, how old was I? Was I in my forties already? Uh, I did have thought like, oh, if my car breaks down and I have to borrow a thousand dollars and, and, and I don't have a thousand dollars and I need it right away today. There's no one I can call. That's kind of how I felt, right? It's like, 
that a parent can always rely on, which of course I, I understand that not, I want to be sensitive. I understand not everyone has that experience with their parents, um, but many of us do, you know, some sense of home base. It's gone forever now. Now I'm really an orphan. Okay. Um, so, you know, my parents are going to leave me, but Hashem will gather me in. By the way, this term, la'esof, to gather, is the word that is used in ancient Hebrew. I'm really not sure if it's in the Tanakh. I didn't look it up, but certainly in rabbinic Hebrew for um, what people do with a foundling, an abandoned baby. An abandoned baby is actually called an asufi in the Talmud, uh, a collected one, right? I mean, it's a very relevant issue nowadays with our issues recently in America about um, abortion rights, okay? So le'esof is what you do when you take in an abandoned baby. So in some sense, this sentence is, I will inevitably, even if I, even though my parents die, God, you're always with me. I mean that. Or even if I feel totally abandoned, even by those who are closest to me, Hashem, you gather me in, right? And again, think of the associations of taking in a foundling, right? It's, it's, it's care, right? And nurture. Um, okay. So somehow or other, there's a contrast here. Humans, even the humans most reliable, closest to me, they will leave me, or even if they leave me, right? Uh, God, you gather me in. By the way, and the Ya'asfeni is really conceptually the opposite of this word Altitesheni from Natash, which really is a very strong word. It means abandon. I would have been happier if the psalmist would have said Altaazveni v'altitesheni. That would... The shot that would follow would be like, don't leave me, don't abandon me. It's a, uh, Natasha is really a stronger word, but maybe that just means I'm, we're not under, uh, I'm not understanding the psalmist correctly, right? Um, maybe Natash means to sort of drop me and La'azov to Azveni means to walk away or something like that, right? So I know I'm going to be left alone in air quotes, abandoned, as it were, by my parents. But Hashem, you will take me in. There's a sense of certainty here. Hashem, teach me your ways and guide me in the straight path. Uh, to confound my oppressors is a good enough translation. Is shorarai, there, there's debate in the commentators what it means. It could mean those who look at me and they, they're kind of looking at me haughtily or arrogantly. Sure, sometimes means to look. Is it a variation of tsorarai, which is like tsarai, which we saw earlier? That would fit also enemies. So somehow or other, they're opponents, right? So I still have opponents and I'm saying, what's my, what's my defense, as it were, against my opponents? Hashem, teach me your ways. I think we have a little bit of a look back at section 1B here, right? Where in section 1B I said, I only ask one thing of God, shifti bevet Hashem kol yemei chayai, dwell in God's house forever. And we said that that can mean metaphoric, not just going to the temple. And I think that links to this, right? Hashem, 
teach me your ways and set me in the right path. So what am I asking as an antidote to the adversaries, whether external or internal? What am I asking as a, as a counterbalance to my potential sense of abandonment? Hashem, teach me the right path. It's interesting, right? The psalmist is saying not in the sense of abandonment, Hashem, fight my enemies for me. At this moment in the psalm, the psalmist is not saying, Hashem, protect me against my enemies. The protection is that I will know the right path. So, Michael, you can now wave your hand and say, this is how it relates to the high holidays. And I'll say, please wait till the end. Please wait till the end. Right. So that's what I want. What's the antidote? The antidote isn't at this moment battle. Right. The antidote is I want to learn how to live the godly way. Hashem, please guide me in the right paths. Okay. Turning page. Al-Titaneni B'Nefesh Sarai. Do not give me into the, all right, the will of my foes. Okay. Uh, the, the translator is having a hard time here because Nefesh usually means self. Right. But in English, we would say, don't give me into my foes hands. That would be our metaphor. Okay. So don't give me over to the enemies. Okay. Which implies that that implies an opposition to what I just said in the last verse. And I, and I would say to you, superficially, these things don't seem to be opposite, right? Thing number one, walking in God's path, path of righteousness. Thing number two, being given into the hands of my enemies, right? We, normally, I think on the shot level, either we would say walking in the righteous path, the opposite of that is being wicked, or giving in the hand of my enemies, the opposite of that would be protection, right? Physical protection. But here, I think there's a very interesting opposite set up. The opposite of being given into the hands of my enemies is walking in the path of righteousness and God's path. Say it the other way around. The opposite of if I walk in the righteous path is I've given into the hands of enemies. Okay. Because there are faults. It's an interesting example of enemies. Uh, very specific. Not sure why the psalmist chose it because there are false witnesses and people who breathe out lies. No one knows what Yefea Hamas means. It appears twice in the whole Tanakh. And then, uh, some scholars, uh, archaeologists decades ago dug up Ugaritic literature, which Ugaritic is sort of Canaanite. It's a cognate language with Hebrew, ancient Hebrew. And it has the same in Ugaritic poetry. It actually has the same pairing. Uh, of parallelism, Eid Sheker and Yefeach Hamas. So apparently breathing out corruption, something like that, breathing out violence is seen as a um, synonym-ish for false witness. Whatever it means specifically, it's clearly bad guys who are arrayed against me who want to bring me down. Okay. It's a, it's a amplification of Sarai, the enemies. We might have said those with weapons, those encircling me, you know, images from other Psalms. The, the image that's chosen here is false witness against me. Um, that might feed into theology of high holidays, right? Because we have this sense of Rosh Hashanah is Yom Ha Din, 
where there's judgment and we have a whole myth of a courtroom, right? With a prosecuting attorney and a defending attorney talking about my sins and my mitzvot. So in the midst of this drama of high holidays, maybe protect me from the false witnesser who wants to bring me down. I don't know, just a thought. Okay. Lule and now something very odd grammatically. If it were not, uh, here it's mine is the faith. It really doesn't mean that. It really means were it not for fact, for the fact that I had faith that I would see God in the land of the living. And that's the end of that sentence. Dot, 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 dot. Right. Mm-hmm. The alternative is unthinkable, right? That, that's kind of the grammatic construction. So the psalmist is saying, were it not for the fact that I fully trusted in Hashem, and if I said to you, okay, make up the second half of the sentence that the psalmist has left out, what would this, give me an example of the second half of that sentence. If I said to you, finish that sentence. Were it not for the fact that I trusted God fully in the land of the living, I would perish. I would perish. Or my Ima Zal always used to say, her metaphor was, we'd be sunk. That's what she's saying. Man, if we would be sunk. Okay. So were it not for the fact that I had full faith that I will see God in the land of the living, by the way, seeing as an image is used different ways. If my enemies can see me, that's a sense of I'm going to lose. But if I see God, right, then that's a marker that I'm on the right path. So again, Tuv Hashem. God's goodness makes me think of Hashem, show me your path. It makes me, a couple of verses ago, it makes me think of I want to dwell in God's house, section 1B, okay? Because again, it's not saying just fight my battle for me so that I am not killed. It's saying something, it's it's using language, I'm going to say, um, broader and more religious than that. I don't usually use the word religious. People say religious. I say, what do you mean by that? Observant? Spiritual? What do you mean? Right? But now I will use the word religious. Okay? Rather than fight my battle, it's I want to see God's goodness. And somehow this implies the Eretz Chaim, the land of the living. Um, As a euphemism, just a footnote, for those who believe, um, as traditional Judaism, Orthodoxy today believes, and traditional rabbinic Judaism believes, that belief in life after death is a part of biblical religion. Most secular Bible scholars would say that belief that our life goes on after death is not a part of biblical religion. Okay? But Tradition, the traditional rabbinic view is that belief in life after death, which is part of the traditional package of belief, is, of course, part of the biblical tradition. How does this sentence fit in with that thought? Because what does Eretz Chaim mean as a euphemism? Anyone know? Maybe. Life. Well, no, that's not what, that's what it means literally. What does it mean as a euphemism? Life after death. Life after death, right? The cemetery. Outside of Beit Shemesh is called um, Eretz HaChaim. My in-laws are buried there, so I've been there many times. Okay, um, it's a euphemism for the cemetery. But why is it a euphemism that makes sense? Because what Chaim are we talking about? Eternal life. Okay, 
So this then potentially takes the psalm further. You know what? By the way, if I, if I could say something radical about the psalm, maybe I'm going to die in the battle, thinks David HaMelech, right? So you don't know how the battle against the enemies is going to go. But you know what? Even if I die in the battle, which is a thought that the psalmist doesn't want to think, perhaps the fact that there's only thing, only one thing I want, which is to be in God's house and God teach me the right path to walk in. And God, I have a hundred percent security in you. Maybe that will lead to Eretz HaChaim, meaning even if I lose the battle, there is life after death and I will be, as we say in Yeshivish, I will be Zoche, right? To have life after death. I will have the merit have good life after death. Um, I don't think that's the shot of the psalm. I'm sure that there are some traditional commentators who think that that's the shot of the psalm, okay? Because their assumption is that, of course, David HaMelech, as a good Frum Jew, believed in life after death, right? So I don't think that's the shot. I think it just means I'm going to survive this battle. But the, the rabbinic drash, which traditional Judaism would see as the shot might be about life after death, which is certainly, again, feeds into high holiday themes, okay? Who shall live, who shall die? Someone's going to die. I mean, I'm going to die. I hope I don't die this year, right, between this Rosh Hashanah and next Rosh Hashanah. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to die eventually between some Rosh Hashanah and the future and the next Rosh Hashanah because we're all going to die, right? So the hope is that we end up be'eretz ha'chayim. Maybe that's my little drash footnote. We we end on an we end on a note of security. Kavel Hashem chazak yamei becha ve'kavei el Hashem. How do we know that we're emphasizing this? And it's really important because the psalmist says the same thing twice. Okay, so hope for God and hope here does not mean. I do not believe it is the tone as it might be in English. Oh, like. Gee, gee, I hope God show up. So, you know, I hope he asked me to the dance. It's not that kind of, you know, hope. It's a much firmer sense of hope. So it's not quite laha amin in the last verse, but it's partway on the way laha amin, right? To have faith, right? So, so hope faithfully for God. Strengthen your heart, right? There's a thought. I, I think the, the link is, if you hope for God, this will strengthen your heart. That's how I put it together. Vikavel Hashem. And so hope for God. Again, halfway to rely on God. Look optimistically and faithfully towards God as your hope, which I think very nicely pulls together the two, I'm going to say, parallel levels that the psalm operates on. I don't want to call them different themes. I want to call them different levels the level of doing battle and fighting and enemies, concrete level, and the metaphoric level of walking in the godly path, right? And the sense of security that I get from that, right? So, be strong and of good courage, um, could either be about don't be afraid of fighting, don't be afraid of those enemies. It could be have faith that God will keep you in God's sukkah, it could be have faith that you will end up in the Eretz HaChayim. Okay, I think it can mean 
all of those things and thus is an excellent, not like the psalmist, not like David HaMelech needs me to give him a grade on his poem, but um, I would say, oh, that is an excellent conclusion, that last line, because it really ties together so many things, uh, because it can mean so many things. It can mean I rely on God to protect me against those evildoers. Again, evildoers can be external people. It can be internal forces. Uh, a lot of people want to interpret the enemies of the Psalms as internal forces. It can be doubts or fears or negative voices in our head. Right? Um, but one way or the other, be strong. We can fight back against them. Things will be okay. Why will things be okay? Because God is my co-pilot. Quote the name of a book from a long time ago. Right. Or really my pilot is what David Amalek would say. Right. And how do I know that? Because I have asked, I just want one thing to be in the godly path. Right. Okay. Pause. Let's take a few minutes. We could go. We could allow it to go to 850 if we wanted. Yeah. Okay. Really be indulgent here. But I just want to ask for, you know, resonances. Right. For you. What does it mean to you? Does it fit the high holidays? Michael. We'll let you go first because I held you off. Okay. Well, what we were discussing, uh, uh, facing God and, and you suggested that, that why would you be concerned about God turning away if God's facing you? And, and that's what prompted me to think that it fits so well with the high holidays because if we are considering ourselves, we know that we are imperfect and we know that God knows that we are imperfect. And so there's a fear that God will turn away and it will be, um, uh, it will show up in how we are treated in the book of life for the next coming year. And that's why I think it fits one reason it fits so well for the high holidays. Great. Cause if God turned away, we would be sunk. If I yes. can quote my emails all. Okay. Alan, then Larry, and then anyone else. Alan. Yeah. This Thanks, is Michael. just, yeah. I, this is just a, a, a drosh about regarding why this is read at the beginning of Elul, uh-huh. all, all, all the way through, because we're supposed to do a cheshbon anefesh and look backwards and account for our sins before we go into the Amin Noraim. And even the last line says, Lulei Hehemanti. And if you read Lulei backwards, it's Elul. Those who can't, uh, those who are only listening online can't see that I'm waving my fingers back and forth. Thank you, Alan. That is the, the regular rabbinic drosh, which connects it to Elul. By the way, remember we had Or V'yishi. We said the Midrash is uh, um, Rosh, Hashanah Rosh Hashanah and Yom, and Yom Kippur. Kippur. And then we have Sukkot, Sukkot. So we should really just say from Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot, why do we move it all the way back to Elul, Lule, which is Elul spelled backwards. Right. Again, I'm not sure that's the, I'm not sure that's the reason it was selected. That's sort of the, the, you know, the drosh that gives a little, thank you, Alan, that gives a little, a little icing on the cake. Right. Great. Thanks. Larry. Larry, then Terry. Thank you. I'll make three comments, try to keep it brief. I can relate to your comment about your losing your second parent and feeling like, quote, an orphan. Um, and simply say, for me, it wasn't so much the assistance that a parent can give, but rather, who do I turn to? I want the answers about history or history of my family and realizing now suddenly people are turning to me for the answers. Yes. I don't know how this would relate at all to the Yamin Noraim, but 
it's a different sort of sense of loss. Uh-huh. Secondly, I've always very much liked, loved this psalm, but mainly because of selected verses, which I won't go over right now. But when I think about the psalm in terms of <coughs> the, in terms of Elul and the entire period to Sukkot, I'm not so comfortable. And the reason I'm not so comfortable is because clearly the psalm is about foes and enemies. Mm-hmm. And for me at least, and I think for most people, the, the overriding themes of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, of all of Elul, is personal introspection about what's wrong with me. Not why people are attacking me from outside, but the enemies from within. Mm-hmm. You may argue that this gives hints to that. I don't, don't see them. Mm-hmm. And so I can't find another psalm because there aren't too many psalms that deal with issues of personal repentance that don't deal either with issues of enemies, foes, or deal with joy and gladness. There's nothing about the introspection of the holidays. So in that regard, while I still enjoy the psalm, I'm glad we read it, it isn't satisfying for me in terms of addressing the theme of the season. Pause before the third one. I just want to say, Larry, um, your objection has been anticipated, and there are commentators who say enemies is the Yetzer Hara, evil right. inclination, right? So there are commentators who internally psychologize and metaphorize this idea of enemies. Okay, so just, you know, put that, in, put, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Try that. I think about that. All right, thing number three. Number three. No, th- no, that was number three. Number two was that I like it a lot. Oh, so, you like it a lot. Okay. I like, I mean, I can tell you the, the, you don't want to hear them, but there, there's so many persicum here which are just really beautiful and by themselves. Yes. Without thinking about enemies. Yes. Um, give me a good, good feeling. Yes. Yeah. There's a member of Armenian, a regular, I won't say who it is, doesn't matter who there's one line, which is just a line in a prayer that that many member always says it aloud with like a, oi. And once the rabbi said to me, you know, I wonder what it is about that line and what it means to that person. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to corner someone by asking them because then it'll go away. It's like a personal thing, but they always say, and it's not like a, a line that the rest of the kahal says aloud. It's something that obviously means something to that person. So yes, there are always things that resonate with us in particular. Okay, Terry. Varid, look at your messages. Um, I, 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 Larry basically covered um, some of the points I wanted to make. So Avi, before you finish, I want to make a plug for the Baruch Link weekend. So you let me know when it's appropriate to do that. That is why your hand is raised. Okay. Any other thoughts, comments about the psalm? Terry, please do your make your plug, and then I will wrap up. Oh, Thank I have, you. Oh, wait, oh. Michael. Sorry, Michael. Yeah, th- this is something that uh, Rabbi Chorney mentioned in her drash this past Shabbat uh-huh. uh, as a technical connection, uh, and that is that that Hashem appears. 13 times in this. Oh. And so it's, it, it, uh, uh, is evocative of the 13 attributes of God. Shkoyach. Beautiful. Thank you. Terry. With, with, <clears throat> with great joy, I, I want to personally invite all of you to attend the Baruch Link Scholar in Residence and oh. the last, the end of October, the last weekend in October. Um, it's our inaugural weekend. 
and um, it focuses on modern Hebrew literature. And uh, please, please reach out to your friends and and calm yourselves. We we want and need to make this a great success to indicate to the larger community that this is a topic that is of interest and can grow in interest as we bring in different authors. So take a look at Temple Beth Am. The site is up. You can read all about it. And we would be thrilled to have you attend. Thank you, Avi. Thank you, Terry. And just to ask, will it all be recorded for the benefit of those who live in China or Barcelona or wherever they are? Sadly, because most of it is going on over Shabbat, it will not be. The only session that will be recorded will be Sunday, and that will be a fabulous session. Each one is going to be focused on a different part of the writing craft and the creative process Mm -hmm. and how it impacts um, uh, the diaspora and, and, um, and impact politically and thought-wise, and that, that one of the sessions on Sunday will be recorded, but it's the only one that's a non-Shabbat session. Got it. Thank you. And this weekend is going to be a great way to um, commemorate and honor the memory of someone who was a beloved friend to so many of us. Baruch Link, Zichro Livracha. Thank you. So I want to wish everyone, Michael. Yeah, I had a question about the recording. If it's going to be done in connection with any of the services, they're always on, on YouTube and that's recorded. It, it, it's uh, the sessions are after the services, Michael, and the, the policy answer. of our shul, and I completely understand it, is that if it's not hog or, or Shabbat related directly, we don't record oh, okay. it. There we so. have it. Okay. So I would like to wish everyone here or listening on podcast. Shana Tova Umtuka, good sweet year. And I guess I won't see you, so Gmar Khatimatova and Chag Sameach for Sukkot. And we will resume in fifty God willing in fifty seven eighty three after the Chagim. See you then. Okay, everyone stay healthy, be Torah, have a very meaningful and beautiful high holiday season. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.